Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard, pastoring at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks for joining me today. As we follow along the curriculum schedule of the Come Follow Me Sunday School program produced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we come to the book of Hebrews for the next two weeks. This week it's Hebrews 1 through 6, next week Hebrews 7 through 13. And so I want to share with you some thoughts from a Bible church pastor about the book of Hebrews, and today we're just going to be looking at the opening verses. I want to keep it relatively simple. The uh, opening four verses of the book of Hebrews, so much there. I say keep it simple, but in those four verses it's pretty intense, and so we want to slow down and look at that. And I will say, too, from my perspective as someone whose profession it is, to study and teach and live out what is seen in the Bible, uh, I have to say that I believe that Hebrews is the most challenging book from a a Latter-day Saint perspective. If we're thinking about the theology that is given in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the most difficult book in the Bible for that to jive with maybe besides Romans, is the book of Hebrews. I I just find it really, really difficult for someone who's a Latter-day Saint to be able to fit their theology into the theology given in that book, in the book of Hebrews. And so uh, today, let's take a gander at Hebrews chapter 1, these opening verses, and uh, again, slow down, break it down, see what it's all about. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. All right, so it's clear to pretty much anyone who reads the book of Hebrews. I mean, this is something we can all agree on. In the book of Hebrews, the author is making the case that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than uh, the prophets. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than, you know, fill in the blank. He's better than anything. And uh, this is what the author will get into throughout chapter 1 and the chapters that follow. Well, here at the, the start of the letter, he's really giving us the reason why this is the case. He's giving us the explanation of the fact, the explanation of reality. And then when he starts listing all these things that Jesus is better than, he's giving us the implication of that. So here at the beginning, it's bang, here's reality, here's truth. And then from there, here are the implications of that truth. So it's very important that we understand what the author's talking about in these opening verses. He says that God after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. So there were uh, there, there was a diversity of ways that God spoke to his people, 
particularly spoke to the fathers, the patriarchs uh, of the Israelite nation. He spoke to them in many portions and in many ways in the prophets. Well, in these last days, now that the last days have been initiated, the new covenant has been initiated, he has spoken to us in his son. So, um, last days here doesn't have reference to the actual uh, 24-hour period, the, f- the final 24-hour periods, because remember, this was written 2,000 years ago. And so, uh, he's not saying that, you know, Jesus is going to be coming back here in three weeks. These are the last days he's spoken to us in his son. He's saying that we have entered into this period now that signifies we're headed toward the end. All right, and it's a it's a long period. These last days, it's a long period. Again, two thousand years on, we're still in these last days, in these latter days, in this final time, headed toward the end. Things have changed, and there's a lot more to come. But in that sense, we are in these last days. Okay, and he has spoken to us in his son. Now, this is in contrast to what he said in verse 1. So here in verse 2, he's saying, In these last days, he's spoken to us in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that is in contrast with these many portions. Oops, I should highlight the many part. These many portions and many ways. So before, there was a diversity of ways that he spoke to his people in the prophets uh, through many portions, many ways very diverse in the way that he would do that. And and if you read your Old Testament, you can see that. Sometimes he would uh, send an angel with the message. Sometimes he would uh, speak audibly. Sometimes he would inspire the thoughts of the writer, and the writer would write down exactly what God wanted him to write down. There were just different ways that he did these things. And he did so in a multiplicity, if I could say that word. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly, but he, he did so in a multiplicity of prophets. It wasn't just one prophet. There were multiple prophets. Well, now in these last days, instead of many different ways through many prophets, he's speaking to us one way, in his Son. And I say he is speaking to us one way, but look how the author uses past tense. He has spoken to us in his Son. So it's like a a new phase here. Again, we're entering these last days, or we're in these now, these last days. And he has spoken to us in his Son, So, right from the beginning, we see that Jesus is better than the prophets, and we see that the revelation that God wants us to have is wrapped up in His Son. We shouldn't be looking for portions. We shouldn't be looking for ways. We should be looking to His Son. We shouldn't be looking to prophets who have this new revelation from God for us all. We have all the revelation we need from God in his son. Very important. And his son is the one whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. Jesus is the owner of all things. The Son of God owns everything. He owns the universe. He's the maker of the universe. He's the heir of it all. He's the maker of it all. Pretty amazing. And verse 3 now just comes as like a, a rush of so many theological truths that are important that it's a, a little overwhelming when you read it in one shot. 
So let's uh, slow it down and break it down. And he, so continuing to talk about Jesus, is the radiance of his glory. And the his here is speaking of God the Father. So God the Son is the radiance or brightness of the glory of God the Father. Wow, that's intense. And he is the exact representation of his nature. The Son is the exact representation of the nature of the Father. There's a one-to-one similitude, another word that I'm not sure if I'm using correctly, (laughs) like a one-to-one match here of the nature of the Father with the nature of the Son. Now, there's one word in the Greek here that uh, is translated to exact representation. It's the word character, which you know, we get our English word character from. And this word often meant to uh, inscribe with a signet ring or with a tool to engrave something uh, where you are creating a character through that process of copying something like with a ring or with a, uh, you're creating something with a tool. Well, it's important to note here that, um, This word doesn't refer to the process itself. This word refers to the result that creatures would have to go through to create that exact representation. So when we say um, that something, like this is a copy of something, we know that tied into that uh, word is the process of making a copy. So back in the day when Xerox was like the word that people used for making copies, Uh, One of those misnomers like Kleenex, you know, people will use the word Kleenex whenever it doesn't mean, or whenever we're not necessarily talking about the brand Kleenex, they just mean facial tissue. Some people would say, um, you know, they would, I think they would even use it as a verb, uh, Xerox that, you know, Xerox that, or or I've got my, my Xerox here referring to their copy. Well, we know that as creatures, in order to make a copy of something, there had to be an original. And then that original goes through a process of being copied so that the result is a second edition. It's not really an edition, but a a second um, existence of that original, but it went through a copying process. The original came first, the copy came second, and there was a process that links the two. With this, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when it says that Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. It is not saying that God the Father existed at a point in time without God the Son. But at a point in time, God the Father went through some sort of a process to make a copy of himself, and the result is the copy, Jesus, the Xerox. Jesus is the Xerox of the Father. That is not what it's saying. It is saying that there are two, and there's a one-to-one match. They share the exact same nature, that there's a, a, a sharing of the nature, but there was not a process that the Father went through to create the copy, Jesus. And this is pretty significant because there are different groups out there that will argue this way about the origin of Jesus was some sort of copying process or generate, generating process where Jesus didn't exist, and then he was generated by God in time, and now Jesus exists as a 
copy of the Father. So uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, will talk about it this way, talk about this verse this way. There's actually a great debate that James White did with a Jehovah's Witness, whose name I'm not remembering. Let me look that up while I keep talking about other things, because it's a really good debate. The cross-examination in that debate is maybe the best cross-examination of all James White debates, in my humble opinion. And uh, if you know anything about James White, you know that he's done a lot of debates, and uh, his cross-examinations are usually very good. Um, James White debate Jehovah's Witness. Who is this guy? Let's see. Um, And when I suggest that you check it out and you skip right to the uh, cross-examination part because it's just worth it. I mean, watching the whole thing would be great, but this is uh, James White versus Greg Stafford. Greg Stafford is his name, and uh, man, that cross-examination was really good. But what comes out in that cross-examination, let me pull up Hebrews again, is they're looking at Hebrews 1.3, and they're looking at this term, the exact representation of his nature, and Greg Stafford is basically saying, how do you get an exact representation of something else? Well, there has to be a process of copying, or just, we say copying, but there has to be some sort of a process where you go from the original to now the additional one, who is the exact representation of the additional. Well, the word doesn't refer, the word character here for exact representation doesn't refer to the process. The author of Hebrews doesn't have in view any kind of a process that the Father went through to create Jesus. Jesus is the one who made the world. He's not a creature. He's not a part of the world. He's not a part of creation. He's not a part of the universe. He is outside and over all created things. He is the creator. There was no process. And this will even come up with Latter-day Saints, because for Latter-day Saints, Heavenly Father has to necessarily precede Jesus. That Jesus, to be our elder brother, for him to be the first greatest creature of all, the, of all creation— That means he had to be created at a point in time. He was first. And in fact, what you'll see, not just through some explicit teaching from Latter-day Saints, but also even in the artwork, like in statues and things like that, what gets taught here about Hebrews 1.3 and Jesus being the exact representation of the Father is that it has to do with a physical appearance, that Jesus is the exact representation, meaning he looks just like his Father who created him. So there was a creation process where the Father created Jesus, and exact representation denotes that they look the same. None of that is in the mind of the author of Hebrews. It does, that doesn't fit with biblical theology. That doesn't, even, that doesn't fit with the book of Hebrews. Um, that, that's just not what is being said. Nothing here hints at that, uh, indicates that, teaches that at all. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is the exact representation of the nature of God the Father, meaning they share in the same nature and they have eternally. Uh, It says in the book of Colossians that Jesus has the fullness of deity. Well, the fullness of deity includes being eternal creator. If you are a creature who was created at a point in time, that's what it means to be a creature, you cannot have the fullness of deity. The very fact that you came into existence 
means that that horse left the barn. You can never be the one who eternally exists as the creator of all things. Well, Jesus shares in the nature of the Father. And we find out, too, even in the book of Hebrews, that the Holy Spirit does uh, also. In Hebrews chapter 9, I always get this uh, confused. I think it's verse 14. It might be later on in the chapter. But let's look. Hebrews 9, 14. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hebrews 9, 14. It says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is eternal. That means he's not a creature. That means he, too, shares in the nature of the Father. And notice here, too, we're, we're talking about him separately from the Son. The blood of Christ, so Christ being one person, he offered this blood, he offered himself, through the eternal Spirit. So these are two distinct persons who are sharing in the same nature. And he offered himself to God, and that's God the Father in this context, just like it is at the start of Hebrews. So even just in this one verse, you have the Trinity, the Son offering himself through the eternal Spirit to God the Father, all sharing in the same nature because all are said to be eternal. And Jesus, just as the Holy Spirit, is the exact representation of the nature of God the Father. All three share in the same nature. This is uh, where we get our word substance. The Greek word for nature is where we get our English word substance. That's why sometimes you'll hear that when we explain the Trinity, we say God is one in essence or one in substance and three in persons. That's Trinitarian theology right here at the beginning of Hebrews. Well, not only is he the exact representation of the nature of the Father, but he upholds all things by the word of his power. So he's the heir of all things. He's the owner of all of creation. He's the maker of all of creation. And he's the sustainer of all of creation. He upholds all things by the word of his power. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says... In him, that's Jesus Christ, in him all things hold together. He's the one who's keeping this whole universe held together. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died as a representative, as a substitute in our place for our sins. And then, afterwards, rose again and ascended to heaven where he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he took on a body, lived a perfect life in that body, was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, proclaimed his victory over death to the demons and, of course, to all the world. He taught the disciples for 40 more days. He ascended into heaven, leading captive, a host of captives, those who were awaiting this moment, awaiting their Messiah, those who were in Abraham's bosom. He led captive his host of captives, Ephesians 4 says, quoting Psalm 68, I believe. And 
when he goes to heaven, he brings that earthly body that is now glorified through resurrection with him, and he sits down with that earthly body at the right hand of the majesty on high, a the most privileged position, not just a privileged position, the most privileged position. And he was able to do this because he has become much better than the angels. Hebrews tells us in chapter 2 that during his earthly life, he was made for a little while lower than the angels. But now, having been glorified in resurrection and sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, it's clear that he is much better than the angels, and he has inherited a more excellent name than they, a name that will cause every knee to bow, a name that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's pretty amazing. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is great. (laughs) It's heavy. It's great. It's very similar to John. I've got John ready here. John chapter 1, the first three verses of John. Think of how similar this is. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Very similar. Hebrews 1 says, He's the heir of all things, through whom also God made the world. He's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Very, very similar. It's almost like you have consistency in the Bible. Not almost like. It is. You have consistency in the Bible. And you have the apostles giving us explicitly in the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament, but it's not as explicit as it is in the, in the New Testament. Trinitarian theology, that God is one substance, He is one nature, yet He is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. All three are God. The Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father, but all three are God and there is one God. Jesus is better because he is the one true God. Okay, hope that was helpful for you today. Love talking about Hebrews, and next week we'll get into some of that Melchizedek stuff. So look forward to going through that with you next week. Thanks for listening. God bless.